welcome to the dinner table. It's officially Saturday night and we are sitting around the dinner table. I've got a nice glass of red wine. Joe's got a glass of water. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a late night pickup <laughs> at school. I'm picking up my daughter at school at like 11, 11.30. And I'm going to remind everyone in case they didn't already know that my name is Aislinn Campbell. And with me, of course, Joe Hilliard. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm exhausted. Mm. Mentally, physically. Let's get this thing done as quickly as we can. <laughs> the shortest dinner table talks episode I don't ever. Know. We've had a lot of dinner table talks this week. We probably have a lot more to say than we intend. It starts with the fact that my mom finds herself back in the hospital. And that's, of course, her story to tell. But I've got a few observations that I thought were just interesting. I can't imagine anyone that went to the hospital in today's day and age that wouldn't have a lot of interesting things to say about our hospital healthcare system. Yeah, if you listened to last season, you know that my father passed away about a year ago. And before that happened, we were in and out of a lot of hospitals and rehabs and you know mm-hmm. all of it. But that was all pre-COVID. In fact, COVID kind of settled in right when he moved into that hospice. And that meant that any restrictions were waived for me. But this one was different because, like I said, when she was there a couple weeks ago, they were allowed one visitor, one. At the beginning, you had to like choose. This one person's on the list, and that's the only person that it can be. You can't switch. You can't alternate. But what I noticed, because I would get bored, or they'd have to do something where I would leave the room. And when I'd leave the room, I'd wander. You know, I'd roam. I'd mm-hmm. take a walk. I'd mm-hmm. walk down to the solarium and get a beautiful view of the bay and maybe clear my mind, but I am one of those people that would peek into an open door. And what I began to notice, and I guess I attribute it in part to that one visitor policy, is that there were a lot of older people that were just alone. Hmm. And with me being there as, you know, an advocate for my mom, an observer, someone that could ask questions and bounce ideas off of her about the care that she was getting or maybe not getting, or that we thought that she should get, or questions that, that seemed unanswered, i become that squeaky wheel. And all of a sudden, there were doctors in our rooms all the time. We were getting all of the answers that we needed. And as I would walk around and observe that there were just people alone, I knew that they didn't have that advantage. And they're sitting there just being medicined with no oversight from a loved one. Or maybe they had oversight from a loved one or someone there in a loved one, but they're not going to yell about it or they don't know the right questions to ask or they're just not aggressive or maybe they're passive aggressive or, you know, I mean. But imagine the idea of a hospital with no visitors, only patients. And there were some visitors, of course, but that is a completely different animal than a living, breathing, filled up location. Right. Then the other interesting observation and this one was just fascinating to me, was visiting hours ended at six. And they were very strict about that. But there was one night where I needed to be there a little later. The nurses had asked me to stick around for a thing. Right around 6.30, about shift change, as I'm walking back into the hospital, there's two charter buses. And coming off of these charter buses is an army of nurses all, you know, in black scrubs. Mm-hmm. And when we got back to the room and this procedure was finished, the nurse during the day was leaving to go get on that bus. Mm-hmm. I walked down at the same time with her and we've gotten to know each other a little bit. And I asked her, you know, what's going on with these buses? I didn't know, you know, this is not what I expected. She says, oh, well, we are FEMA nurses. And for a while, your county was one of the hot spots, and FEMA ships down 
buses full of nurses, puts them up in hotels, and they've been peeling off as the COVID's been relaxing where we live. I said, oh, are you off just somewhere else? Or how does this work? When are you leaving? He says, I'll be leaving in a week or so. And I'll be going to, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going. I'm either going to this city or that city, but I'm going where duty calls. Mm -hmm. And that happens right around shift change after visiting hours. I don't think it's a secret, but just the mechanics of COVID and the medical system. And it seemed to me that these were just a hospital filled with patients. Most of them mostly on, probably on Medicare, just given how old they appear to be. The whole thing made me uncomfortable. Of I don't know course. if I'm I don't know if I'm verbalizing it very well, but the whole thing just made me very Handmaiden's Tale, uh hell. I don't know. Those are some things that come to my mind. I stay out of those places purposefully. She's moved to a rehab facility for a week or so, and they have a zero visitation policy, which is a strange adjustment. A as the visitor and son, and B as the mother and person that would like to have a visitor and is used to having a visitor in this medical kind of environment. I think that some of the sociological effects of this COVID still remain unknown. And we'll, be, lo we'll be learning them for a Absolutely. long, long time. Decades. Generations. Things are going to change. Things already changed. We can't keep going back to the way we were before. And the healthcare system was a problem before this whole thing started. And then, yeah, this really large disruptor. Mm-hmm and like most disruptors, is going to cause changes that are immediately evident, but not so evident until we begin to kind of sort through the rubble. Unanswered questions. That was kind of more serious than I intended it to be. I, you, you, do you think on any planet, on any unanswered question world, with any listener and any audience listening to Aislinn Campbell and you bring up the healthcare system and the hospital. You've been having difficulty biting your tongue. And people getting off of buses all dressed in black that I'm not going to have something silly to say about. Like, oh, yeah, that's so much fun. No, I have fucking PTSD from those places. And that was back when it was better than it is now. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm going to keep us on track. Just to clear it all up. Last week, we talked about a chat conversation, and I was reading a chat conversation from some high school friends of mine, and, and one of them typed F-W-I-W, -W, and I <laughs> thought, well, what does that mean? And as I was listening to it while we were editing, for what it's worth, <laughs> then when we were detailing the massive Easter spread that we had, your mom had made some pickled chow chow, and that kind of just went right by. I asked you after we were done, what is chow chow exactly? I'll, I don't really know. I know that she used green tomatoes mm -hmm. in it. Well, it's basically a North American pickled relish. And an early 20th century recipe was made with cucumbers, onions, cauliflower, green peppers left overnight in a brine, boiled in cider vinegar and whole mustard seed and celery seeds. I have no idea what recipe she used, but I know that she was purposeful about the southern chow chow uh -huh. with the green tomatoes Ooh. in it. And we had to do the green tomatoes because the freeze was coming and I had all these tomatoes on the vine. So, and other people did too. So I think she picks them up from a different local farmer as well. There and are things that have specific ingredients like bruschetta, a margarita pizza. You're going to see the same stuff on it. Chow chow is probably a generic name for pickled vegetables served in relish form. Yeah, in relish form. Yeah, real chopped up. Then you mentioned that you believed that the freeze that we recently had across Texas, certainly in our area, made some of your vegetables taste better. Yes. You were 100% correct. 
Correct. Did you know that there are certain vegetables that taste better after a frost or freeze? Yes, I did. It's true. In cold conditions, many starchy vegetables like parsnips, celeriac, am I pronouncing that correctly? I think so. I've never grown it before, so I don't know. And carrots turn the starches in their cells into a botanical antifreeze to avoid cold damage. That antifreeze is sucrose, Mm -hmm. also known as sugar. Not only does this allow the plants to tolerate colder temperatures, but it also makes them taste better. The challenge with us is we never know whether we're actually going to have a good freeze or not. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing with me and intuitive gardening. Like nine times out of 10, I can say, well, I think I know this. And if I don't know it exactly, it's pretty close because I understand how the system of growing life works. Well, you've said on this podcast a couple of times that the best farmers in the world are constantly learning. And if they tell you they know everything, they're not the best farmers in the world. That's the truth. And then lastly, why in that recipe for that amazing broccoli cauliflower casserole that you talked about last week, did they want us to boil the broccoli and the cauliflower separately? There's got to be a good reason because to me, there's no good reason. I searched and scoured and I even went down to the library. Literally? No. (laughs) And this one remains unanswered. unanswered. There is no answer. It doesn't talk about that anywhere. I think that this recipe writer has just got some level of OCD. (laughs) That's That's what I think, too. I do not have that level of ocd in fact Mm. i have mentioned that i if i cook at all it Mm -hmm. better be a one pot wonder (laughs) well let's find out if that's what happened all of this hospital visiting has had my schedule just nutso and monday night as you guys know listening is my night off from the kitchen but he'd already had like five nights in a row off from the kitchen so at this point i'm like i'm not eating any more takeout I will take the problem into my own hands. The title of this episode better be simply Aislinn Cooks! Exclamation point. I think it should be Aislinn takes the problem into her own hands. Okay, well, <laughs> let's discuss if that's exactly what happened. <laughs> because if someone's cooking and taking the problems into their own hands, they don't need any outside assistance at all. Oh, that's bullshit. The best executive chefs have a whole kitchen of mm-hmm. people that are doing all the work, and all they're doing is pointing and showing and telling and telling them how bad that tastes or how good well, that when tastes. When I cook around here, I don't have a kitchen full of people. That's because that you're not the executive the chef. Who's the executive chef? I am, duh. Oh, you're the executive chef that doesn't cook a thing. Right. Okay. I'm the executive celebrity chef. You didn't Firebrand, exaggerate it's just a much. We had had takeout a couple of nights in a row. Takeout's not good. And especially not when it's you're getting it over and over again. And there's no fresh vegetables that are good. And there's no, like, I'm not eating meat because I don't eat their meat outside of the Pokeball thing. Yeah, that, no, no, that was happening too much. So I looked in the fridge. I was like, dude, I'm the one pot wonder. I can figure something out and I can make it all in one pot. I can throw it all into one space and just cook it up. And I'm looking for the easiest answer possible without it being a box of processed food from the pantry. (laughs) And I open up the fridge. What do we have in here? Vegetables. Oh, he's already Got all these Brussels sprouts ready to go. Mm-hmm. Ready to go. If I can do something with ground beef, that's pretty easy. So ground beef, Brussels sprouts, found a recipe. Super easy. Don't steal my sound effects. 
<laughs> Creamy Brussels sprouts with ground beef. And I actually used ground venison. Yeah. Because we had that and that was easy to find. The Brussels sprouts were already chopped up. You came in with enough time before your podcast. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you chopped this onion for me, please. I think you took your tank top and dropped <laughs> one sleeve down to show me a little extra shoulder. And then at that point, it was pretty simple. It was just the, Stupid. right, exactly. The olive oil, the onion, the garlic, some salt, thyme and dill. And I have Joe, lots of Joe, will you cut fresh... an onion for me? Go ahead. <laughs> I have a lot of fresh thyme and dill in the backyard. So lots of extra dill. Like I put way more dill in this recipe. It, it didn't hurt the recipe. It tasted No, good. it tasted, tasted fresh and crisp. It did because mm -hmm. it had that flavoring of like sour cream and onion kind of. Yeah, you're right. Kind of, and, and it did call for sour cream. Of course, we used, or actually it calls for Greek yogurt. So we did use Greek yogurt. That's what we used. But what was interesting about it, well, it this is a pretty... Um, Very basic. Basic recipe. Joe, will you cut up the garlic? You had already cut up the garlic, I think. Right. No, I think I did say, yeah. Will you... Hey, well, will the you... other side of your tank well, top I mean, came down. Well, I mean, that was simply the prep. Was, yeah. Could was, you just do all my prep work for me? I was hypnotized. <laughs> I had to do the stirring, and then I had to figure out. <laughs> Gee, that's a good point. I know, right? Joe, my elbow's getting sore. <laughs> so, I don't fucking care what I have to do to make real food happen in this house, but I'm not eating takeout tonight. I got it. I got it. You did a good job. <laughs> so I start getting this recipe put together. I'm looking at this pot, my one pot wonder, right? This is like stroganoff, but oh. without the noodles. Right. Am I missing something? Did I do something wrong? So I'm sitting here looking at the recipe. I'm looking and, and I'm And with like, the beef in there, it's the main dish, the main course. It's the entree. And ground ground beef, not right. like beef chunks or yeah. ground beef, Brussels sprouts, onion. I mean, super simple, delicious recipe. Yeah. You should definitely try it. But I would encourage you, when we make our cookbook yeah. and we use this delicious recipe in yeah. our own way... Mm -hmm. One of the things that we will add to it is, is it's some sort of, it doesn't even have to be a starch, but it's just ground beef with Brussels sprouts in it. And that doesn't make a meal, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, that's just part of a meal. That's like the spaghetti sauce without the spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, we, I pulled out a thing of red lentil noodles. Y'all, I don't have experience with right. red lentil noodles. Joe, will you boil these noodles? No, you didn't boil them for me. I said, I need you to tell me exactly how you do this. No, because you asked me, Joe, how long does water take to boil? I did ask that question. <laughs> I don't know, baby, but a watch only pot because, never boils. This is only because he has taken over that kitchen. Dude, You can't. I can't even turn the freaking uh, stove on listen, without a pair of pliers. The stove knob problem exists and is real. I'm not going to take that away from you. That's your kitchen. You, that's your issue. refrigerator. That's your freezer. You, that's Maybe your mask kitchen. for all of the appliances. I mean, you can help me with the refrigerator anytime you'd like. Oh, I help with the refrigerator. But listen, if you tried to go in there and pull together a smoothie, mm. could you do it the way I can do it? No, 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 you because you've got, you know, you're working towards your 10,000 hours in smoothie making and I would be starting <laughs> at hour, you know, five or six in my whole lifetime. Of course, the smoothies that I made were much, much different than the smoothies that you're making, which are chock full of delicious, fresh vegetables. Yeah, your smoothies are like strawberries and bananas. Strawberry, banana, and... ice, orange, splash of orange juice, a little bit of honey. Yeah, I mean, the simple, basic, you know, Smoothie King smoothies. Yeah. Now, my smoothies have like, 
You want to hear my smoothies right now? Well, I tell you what, you served me a smoothie this morning that... It was a belly filler, wasn't it? Yeah, I pulled down one sleeve of my tank top <laughs> just to show you my gratitude. Yeah, what was in this one? Everything. This one had the whey protein. It had an avocado in it. It had purslane in it. It had spinach, basil, mint, chamomile, elderberry syrup, yogurt, the leftovers from the day before smoothie that I pour in there on top. It was chock full of high heavy duty moringa, heavy duty protein, y'all. Ice and a little bit of frozen berries in there. And it was delicious. Like I will tell you that one thing I didn't add to the past ones, but I'm going to start adding to the, that I add now to the new ones is some of my, my uh, delicious herbs because the mint, the basil, all of those spearmint, mm -hmm. adding a little bit of that in a there. Little, just a little pop. Dude, it right. makes it just taste so You don't want so a mint smoothie, good. but just a, you know, like a taste, yes. like a flavor. Absolutely. And something I did a few days ago, which I thought was really actually a pretty good, it worked out really nicely. I threw some leftover mango salsa in there. I didn't want, the mango salsa was getting to the point where it was a week old since we had opened it and purchased it. We bought it up from the the vegan chef we like at the farmer's market. Yeah. And it didn't have a lot of salty flavor. It had a little bit of spice in it, but I thought to myself, you know, I've, I've drank a lot of smoothies and juices that they put like jalapeno and right. yeah, yeah, cilantro right, yeah. and dill and celery and all kinds of other things. And so I'm like, I'm going to just try it. I threw it in there. It was a little bit of a different flavor, that was in but this it was morning? pretty spicy. No, well, yeah, no, there was a little bit of that in oh, there this morning as well. Mm. But it was, yeah, in my starter, exactly. But it was in the one a few days ago, so that would have been when you would have tasted it the most. But I'm just telling you, like, whatever you have, that's the trick. But the thing about it is, is that that's a thing, like, I know that part of the kitchen. I know the smoothie machine. I know the the blender. I know how to make it. I know mm -hmm. how to turn it on correctly. I mm -hmm. know where the how much ice. I know how much yogurt. I know elderberry syrup. I know... We've got figs. We've got frozen this. I mean, I know what can go in a smoothie. You know how how to cook the current lentil noodle variety that we're purchasing because right. you've cooked it 20 times and I haven't. So that's what I was asking you. Like, okay, and if you, you use these particular pots, you have more experience with it. You have more experience with ga this particular gas stove than I do. So tell me, how long does it take this pot of water to boil? We, make a, I... we make a good team. Sure, always. And I guess I'm just busting your balls. Of course. It was hilarious when, though, on my quote-unquote night off, I ran in there Whatever like the monkey every time on. you needed me. Mm -hmm. That's what I tend to do. Mm. But I did promise you that if you do the cooking as you say you're going to tonight, tomorrow night, I will make a meal extravaganza. Gourmet shit. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. I know that the expectations are high for this night. So let me pull something a little special mm. out of the freezer to serve as our meat. So a few days earlier, I had pulled out a venison backstrap. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a long, thin piece of meat that runs the back of the venison. And it is a, considered a delicacy. Treat it like a tenderloin when you cook it. I have a guy that works with me at the office who harvests a lot of venison. I just kind of casually asked him, hey, how do you do your backstrap? He says, oh, I cut it like little fillets, little medallions, mm -hmm. inch thick, inch and a half, wrap it in bacon, mm -hmm. and I grill those. And I thought to myself, hey, I promised the family, like, gourmet night, mm -hmm. so let me get that on. Thawed some bacon out that I'd purchased at the farmer's market, wrapped those babies, skewered them so that, you know, the bacon doesn't fall off when you're grilling them, 
and threw them on the grill top here on the stove, I knew I wanted to keep those medium rare. Mm-hmm. So after a, you know, a minute and a half on each side with a hot, hot sear, then turn it down, then go three minutes, flip it three minutes. I pulled one off, cut it in half, called you in. This isn't done, right? Mm -hmm. A couple more minutes on each side. But in the meantime, you've been pulling out and talking about greens forever. Mm -hmm. And I could tell you were moving to DEFCON 3 on these greens. Like, Joe, you're avoiding greens and we're going to have a lot of greens that get thrown away. And that's going to make me sad because I've been harvesting them all. Well, and also because I have people that really like my greens and they're very beautiful right now. They, so if we're not, if we're not going to use them, Your then let's sell them. Your greens are beautiful. That is the truth. Mm-hmm. And I realize I'm having a block with greens. In other words, I don't like greens. And oh, how could you not after this last experience? Oh my God, I'm let broken. Me, let me finish my thought. It's broken. The way I have been preparing them. The, my default greens preparation was fine for it's people like that really green. likes greens. But it, yeah, wilted in the cast iron with plenty of onion and garlic. Well, this is going to go right back to the conversation we had about sugars in the broccoli and cauliflower a while back. Keep going, but that's where this conversation's going. So I said to myself, all I need to do is just try something new. So let me Google some greens recipes and see what I come up with. When you go to Luby's yeah, or, or a cafeteria yeah. and they you get greens there, they're pulling them out of what appears to be like a, a, a wet boil right. that they've made. Yeah. And then they strain them and put them in your dish. Pretty typical, like, collard greens. Southern greens, Southern, collard yeah. greens, mm-hmm. mustard greens. Now, you didn't have collards or mustard in the mix that you had A little had bit of collards, time. but Did not you? a ton, yeah. yeah. I'm excited about this particular conversation, by the way. I'm sure that no one would be surprised that talking about greens excites me. I'm going to post this recipe. I'm glad that you do, you are, because I got asked about this specifically. Uh, did you? Yes. Because I was like a raving lunatic about these greens, man. Simmered mixed greens. And sometimes I'll ask you to reserve your review, but why don't you go ahead and give it before I talk about how they're prepared? Well, first of all, I was surprised because I said... I did said, not tell you what right, I was doing. I said, That's right. just cook the greens. And you're like, well, how? And I'm like, just, ha- just how you normally do. They're going to taste great. Because the greens that I make, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, the leaves. kale, yeah. collards. I mean, yeah, all the leaves. And then even this other like really beautiful lager leaf sage green, all of these really beautiful greens that are not what you would think of in terms of like just the typical Southern kale or Southern greens, or collard Southern and collards, mustard, yeah. mustard greens, you know, whatever. It had some mustard greens and it. it had some Chinese cabbage and it. it had everything in it. Well, it was amazing. Okay. It was it was the best greens what? cooked this way, hmm? this particular way yeah. that I've ever eaten. What? It was amazing. I was like Best ever. Wait for my sound it. effect. Okay. The recipe calls for a pound of collard and a half pound of mustard greens. Nope. I'm just grabbing a handful out of the bag mm-hmm. after a good washing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to do that. I did get one, one or two crunches where a it was little a little bit of, bit of sand. Yeah. But yeah, you got, that's the thing, peeps. You got to wash your greens real good. Like, I'm serious. These are Uh things that people need to know because you're going to go out there and you're going to be like, I'm going to make the delicious greens. You might even buy some of my greens because lots of my friends are listening to this. People that want to buy greens from me. Right. Wash them. Wash them. It will make an absolute difference in the way you- Don't turn yourself or your family off to greens because you get some grit that you could have avoided by doing a- Yeah, you're right. And the the best way to do that is to fill a giant bowl or a giant pot with water Mm -hmm. and then- 
dunk them, dunk them, dunk them. Just and then keep... the sediments fall to the bottom and then maybe refresh that and do it one more time. Yeah. You're probably good to And go. then if you care about the liquid left on them, now your recipe might have not mattered so much. Mm-hmm. But like if you're using lettuce, and interestingly enough, I've actually been asked this question recently. Well, how do I get the let leaves dry after I do this dunking, this washing? Every kitchen needs a salad spinner. Mm-hmm. Spin the liquid out of the greens, and then you've got a drier green to work with. I'm even going to say this. Don't go to the cheapest store in town to buy the cheapest salad spinner. Uh, we did that one, too. Or you will be buying another, <laughs> another salad, salad spinner. <laughs> yeah. The recipe calls for a smoked ham hock, but, you know, I was in a bacon frame of mind. So I basically cut a quarter pound of bacon and put that in the Dutch oven pot that I was going to be making the greens in. Mm-hmm. on low for a very long time mm-hmm. it's not crackling up and crisping up the bacon it's just slowly cooking and rendering removing uh-huh. getting the fat out so that i could replace the two tablespoons of oil that i would add with just that bacon grease you did that yeah see that's why we need to do a cookbook because you're you're kicking ass man thank you thank you so after that you add some onion cook get it soft i also added some garlic not in the recipe then you add the greens that are chopped and stemmed, and you cook them, stirring them, and you're gonna they're going to wilt. Mm-hmm. Then you add some chicken stock. I put the bacon back in, cut up real fine. So this is put as much meat fat as you can on green vegetables. It flavors them up. <laughs> A squirt of some habanero sauce uh-huh. and some salt. Uh-huh. Cover it, cook it, stir it, 25 minutes or so. I went 30 minutes because some of those greens in that pot were still a little... Go firmer. Yeah. Swiss chard and spinach is super soft, but like kale and cabbage and collard are real thick greens. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why I don't enjoy them when I do them just the wilted way Mm -hmm. is that so much of it is tough and I'm wrestling with the food instead of just enjoying the food. Well, and I've always kind of encouraged you to just like throw it all in there, but... This recipe that you use told you to stem them. Uh-huh. I think that's part of it, like stemming them. And that's another trick to keep them from being you know, tough. The, the bite doesn't feel Did right. Did they tell me. you to massage it or anything like they that? They didn't tell me to massage it, but I massage greens uh-huh. every single time that's I use it. That's probably them. a part of it too. And basically what I do is I take the leaves and I roll it like a cigar, and then I just roll it on the cutting <sighs> See, board. See, these are the kinds of things people are looking for in then terms I of flavoring. Then I unroll it and kind of fluff them up again, then re-roll it and do it again. Really? Uh-huh. All that? Well, it's not that much. Huh. And then when I'm feeling really creative, I just go ahead and lick one, like lick it from <laughs> side to side, finish off my cigar and smoke it, which is another way that you can enjoy greens, but we should, <laughs> that's executive chef level and you know, folks probably aren't ready for that. Secret ingredient, according to this recipe, is that right before you serve them, you're going to splash in a couple tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. Now, why do you think that that makes the greens? It's because normally you're trying to take out the bitterness a little bit. Okay. But the great thing about greens that have gone through a massive freeze is they don't have that same bitterness. That's it's the, the circle the of the sugars. dinner table talk, That's man. exactly it. We That's are exactly back to the it. beginning. And here's the thing, my bitter tolerance, and we've talked about this before, I hate it that I keep saying that, we've talked about this before, all of you listeners out there, you should go back and listen to where I tell you. You should comb every episode please, from episode one so to that find you can the hear me five second conversation you, that we've had about this topic before, your bitterness, go ahead. That my bitter scale uh-huh. is probably higher than other people. I drink black coffee, very bitter black coffee. We drink bitter beer. I don't drink beer anymore, but when we did, it was IPA bitter beers. 
We eat bitter kale, all of that. We like dark chocolate, which is a little more bitter than milk chocolate. Correct. However, Red I wine. love sugar too. And some delicious sugary greens are the bomb, but that's what it is. It's just that, it's just anything you can put that's kind of got a little bit of citric acid, a little bit of vinegar, something that'll help kick that bitterness a little bit. And that's kind of... The traditional way of making this is the, the way you made these greens is a very traditional recipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The trick is because I did get asked because I made a big freak. I'm telling you, I made a big freaking deal because these are some fantastic greens. And then, of course, the plate was so beautiful. We ate the venison tenderloin two nights in a row. Uh huh. So the night that we ate the greens, yes. You took the venison tenderloin, the leftovers, and sliced it up on top of this magnificent salad. Razor blade thin. Beautiful salad yeah. with beautiful radishes and carrots and all lettuce from my... I mean, I had a literal, literal 100% we believe you. local, uh-huh. beautiful plate of food with the best greens that I'd ever eaten, but they were basic southern greens and someone asked me, okay, so tell us, tell me what y'all did. And I'm like, Ooh, this is where I go into the room. And I serve a bunch of food, and everybody's like, oh, my God, so delicious. What's in it? And I'm like, ooh, um, I don't know. I just grow it. I don't cook it. And uh, so I kind of gave the response to this person. I'm just the executive chef. I can't (laughs) tell you anything about the recipe. I better get better at that, right? Uh Yeah, but, you know, it was just. Now, you just point them to episode 33, season two of Dinner Table Talks, and that's how we made our greens. That's exactly right. They were so good. It was just a simple recipe. But Mm. there's just certain things that you begin to know, and I think that you begin to know it. The thing about dinner table talks is, is that our goal is to say your food is going to be so much more delicious and enjoyable if you're using the freshest, most, the best, most nutritious ingredients you can because they're just going to make your food taste better. That is the truth. The best chefs in the world know that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what, they know that they can put it together in all different things, but the quality of ingredients. However, the next best thing that makes a chef amazing is other little things about like massaging my greens and cooking my fat, you know, all of these little tricks that you learn to do that just make it have one level up, one level up, one level up. It's about getting your 10,000 hours. Dude, I could have eaten, you could make, I'm... Do it again. I, I was so freaking Are you still impressed. growing greens? Yes, I still have some. Then I'll do it again. We got to do it quick because it's starting to get hot. And now we're getting back in the other direction where they, they start stop making sugar and start, start making bitter hormones to keep uh, the insects from eating them. Okay. Now they're about to shift back to the bitterness again. So the next time I make greens, we don't need to experiment with them. Just duplicate what really worked well. Yeah. You got Let's it, sister. Do it. You got it. Mm. Astute listeners are going to know that we didn't really do a dinner table talk between the two meals that we just discussed. Mm-hmm. But here's what's coming up. Here's what we were, could talk about. Our dog. Our little messy dog is getting a neuter on Monday. <laughs> and anybody that has a little male dog understands what I mean when I say my, our little messy dog. Mm. <laughs> The other thing that's dominating our dinner table talks is the upcoming move. And where I really want to talk about is the blank canvas of a brand new kitchen, empty pantries, empty refrigerator, everything brand new, clean and sparkling, Mm -hmm. and changes, required changes 
required that we need to make in our food planning, food storage, processes mm-hmm. in our new kitchen. I think it's going to be a difficult conversation. Probably. I think it's going to be a defensive conversation. Because I'm a little bit of a control freak. From both parties. Which is funny because I'm like, no, I don't know that kitchen. It's not mine. I don't go in it. I don't cook. And then I'm like, (laughs) my kitchen. We had a fun time out at the farm tonight um, having some crawfish. and Believe it or not. Getting to know my parents a little bit better, uh, the four of us. Sure. I I don't know if that came out right, but just the idea that the four of us are about to be living together on a farm. Mm -hmm. That part of it. In separate homes, let's say. Getting to know each other better. Mm -hmm. And us moving into the farm with this new kitchen and Mm -hmm. my dad doing all this beautiful work on this farmhouse for us so that we can do all this amazing thing and put on these amazing farm-to-table dinners and whatever we choose to do with the farm in our future. And I think it was just a good night, and I think it was a good time for us. It's a good time for us to just have a short and sweet episode, there and then we'll get back to it next week. episodes left in season two. It's hard to believe, right? Do you not understand already that season three is going to be Joe and Aislinn on the farm? <laughs> well, of course, all of you know, those of you that are the loyal listeners. I'm going to muster up enough energy to get through it. That we got to do some table topics. Table topics. What's the nicest thing you've ever done for someone? What a big question. <laughs> That's a lot of superlatives. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nicest. Ever. ever. The nicest thing I've ever done for someone. I have anonymously bought meals from families or people that caught my eye in a restaurant. Because it seemed like. That might really brighten their day or help them out a little bit. I have, and like, uh, listen to me and how altruistic and awesome I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could, I could probably list a few more examples of being really, really nice. The nicest thing I've ever done for anyone is this one of those things where I'm over here racking my brain and you're ready to go. I don't know if I'm ready to go. I have a thought about it, but I oh, mean... Can you help me out by going ahead and going first on this The thing that one? comes to my mind, because all of the things that you name, like the nicest thing ever, you're right, the superlative ever. of it, the yeah. nicest thing ever, for me, it's got to be something much bigger than just like... Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, even the idea of like, well, I started a nonprofit, but I didn't do that for someone else. I did that for us, all of us, including myself, yeah. you know? But if I have to think about it... The, the nicest thing I've ever done for someone, and I've done this multiple times, is to forgive them for pretty heinous, oh. challenging things. Oh. Things that were some pretty challenging things to give forgiveness to. You know, past experiences where things have happened, where you have to give somebody forgiveness. And the, the interesting thing about this question is, if I'm doing... The nicest thing I've ever done for someone else. There's a selflessness involved in it. I think so, but that's not selfless. Because when you forgive someone else, it's not about them. So for me, I wonder if the nicest thing you ever do for someone is self-care. So that therefore, you can do nothing but be kind and loving to everyone around you. The, the best thing I can do for anyone is to take care of myself, make sure my cup's full, and then I can always serve anytime I'm being asked to serve. The selflessness of it is important because how nice of a thing am I doing for someone 
when someday this question is asked of me and I get to kind of crow about it a little bit. It doesn't take the niceness away from the action, but it does make me feel less comfortable in the selflessness that I place on doing true nice things for other people. Does that make sense, what I just said? Yes. Doing something nice for someone isn't about being able to crow about it or brag about it. And if that's not even what we're doing right now, even kind of mention it because it should be selfless. Well, I shouldn't receive credit almost. I just told you that the most selfless thing I can do is take care of myself. So, I mean, there's all kinds of perspectives and ways to look at this. Yeah. the, The silly example I came up with, it was important to me that it be anonymous. So why am I going to talk about it now? Here's the thing about doing things for other people. It's almost hardly ever selfless. I mean, I asked the question on Facebook the other day because this is a thing that I like to do, right? Throw out a question. What is compassionate action? And the response often was doing something for someone else without expecting anything in return. Yeah. The answer that I agreed with was the person that said holding space for someone else's pain. One time I witnessed... Holding space for the emotion someone else is dealing with. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's it. One time I saw a one-vehicle accident right in front of me where a Suburban flipped over onto its hood. Mm-hmm. I got out of my car, ran up. There was a woman. that Everyone was buckled in, so they're hanging now from what mm-hmm. used to be the floor and is now the ceiling. Mm-hmm. My babies, my babies, my babies. And I got her out. There was glass everywhere. She didn't have shoes on. Ma'am, you need to get over there. You know, get away from this class. And I went into the car and unbuckled the kids from their car seats. And it was such a strange visual because you're inside a car, which you've been in thousands of times, but this isn't right. Mm-hmm. What's down is up. What's up is down. And when I pushed the button, <laughs> the kid fell onto the ceiling floor. Oh. Didn't hurt him, but uh, got got them out. Yeah. And then quickly got away from the car because gas was now pooling, you know, Ooh, all over the thing. Yeah. That's a pretty good one. I That's a good story. I don't think of that as a nice thing that I did for them. That's just uh, that's, your... That's humans that's, helping humans. It's almost like an innateness. That night... It really is. That night, the husband called me. Oh, yeah. And I don't know how, I don't know how they got my number, but probably through the police report, whatever. So, hey, man, I just wanted to say thank you. I heard what you did. Thank you. And while that is a reward thanks for a good deed perhaps it was just felt like in that moment i couldn't do anything else my dad tackled a robber at a bank once really? literally did, did, was, yes was he armed not your dad the bank the robber you'd have to ask him the full story an unanswered question but my dad tackled a robber at a bank once that's fantastic uh-huh when we get out to the farm it's gonna be very easy to pull guests in to the podcast oh yeah I don't know whether you could pull my dad into the podcast, though. I, I wonder about that. Well, I understand what but you But we're mean. definitely going to get this answer question, question well, answered. Well, listen, friends, a shorter episode than usual. We'll be back next week with a full-length episode with Thank so many things patience. to talk about. Thank you for your patience. We love about. you all. We're so glad you're here at the dinner table with us. And just come back and join us every week. Tell your friends. We love the opportunity to interact with you here but also out in public when we see you or even online when you connect with us and tell us what you enjoyed, ask us questions about what we're eating. We love that. We want more of it. And we thank you for being great listeners. Aislinn Cooks! 
Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. <laughs>